Welcome to Sci-Fi Tech Talk, the podcast where we explore the technology of sci-fi. I'm Jeff Sire, and with me today is Mike McPeak. Hello. Julie is uh, doing a combination of traveling and moving, and so things have been pretty hectic for her. We were kind of, we tried a couple times this week to set something up, but in the end, we'd, uh, uh, she said we should just go ahead without her. So again, it is just the sausage fest of Mike and I tonight. Oh my. <laughs> so, and tonight we are going to be discussing uh, Avatar. So the synopsis from IMDb is uh, a paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission becomes torn between following his orders and protecting the world he feels is his home. So we were just talking just before we we hit record there and I was saying like uh, I saw this when it came out in the theater and uh, I don't regret seeing it, I, I, and I don't think it's a horrible movie. But my take on this movie right from square one is this movie is not so much about the plot. It's not so much about the story. This was James Cameron um, doing a showcase of a new technology of how to film movies and kind of the start of the new wave of, of 3D. And the everything else to me, seemed to take kind of a backseat to that. Uh, it's a spectacular movie to watch visually, but I was saying to Mike before we started to record that I saw this movie once, and boy, oh boy. I just, it, it, again, it's not that I don't like it. It's just that there's nothing really there that draws me back to watching it again, you know? Well, the first time, I watched it for the first time uh, last week. I've never seen it before. I've heard things about it, and for me... You know, certainly a showcase of, you know, technology. Um, the thing was, it was one of those movies I really got into the plot. Um, you know, I liked the movie. It was, you know, had me on the edge of my chair. You know, I was, you know, tense to, uh, to see how the uh, big uh, uh, blue Smurfs, the um, Navi, yeah. yes. You know, what their outcome was. Although, you know, I kind of figured what it would be. I kind of wanted to see how they would achieve their, their end. But, like I say, I liked that part of it. But there was the... Um, um, the subplot to it, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that really kind of bugged me. I guess I, I put down in here in our show notes, I called it the saintly indigenous people versus the evil colonials. Yeah. Um, that kind of, you know, that kind of got under my skin um, because, well, you know, I, I think I mentioned it here before. I live out here uh, in, in South Dakota, and this land... Um, and we, we we own farmland out here, and even though this land wasn't directly uh, the, the land that my grandfather homesteaded out here was lost during the depression, but still the land out here in the Dakotas was a result of the Homestead Act, where they moved you know the people who were living here first off the land so that we could move in, and you know I have. Uh, no regrets about this. I mean, I think we have turned out, what we have done has turned out fine, but I realize there are people who have problems with, you know, what was done here. Uh, and the way he portrayed it in this movie, to me, it was extremely stereotypical. I mean, to me, it was just as offensive as it would have been if they had portrayed, you know, some of the uh, the uh, stereotypes from the past, like you know, um, you know, just pulling out a few that I remember off the top of my head. You know, maybe the lazy black people, maybe the stereotypical gay people. To me, this was just a stereotype, and the way he was uh, presenting it really just kind of bothered me. That um, 
it was... It would have been just as offensive if the shoe was on the other foot, if they were the, the righteous colonials trying to bring civilization to the savages. Yes. So right. it was simplistic. Um, and like I say, you know, I, uh, as far as the story goes, I really got into it, but it was that kind of uh, blatant, stereotypical, you know, portrayal of things that really just kind of bugged me because I, um, you know, I'm not a histor- uh, history major by any stretch of the imagination. And, but I don't, th- I think if you go back and look, no side is completely pure and no side is completely evil in any of these things. And the way he portrayed it there was just, I thought, very simplistic. Th- that is probably the best way to put it simplistic and, uh, and derivative. Like, there's nothing here you haven't seen before in, you know, seen or read. Like it's just kind of a rehash of like Romeo Juliet, and and I know I can never remember the name, but I know they they it's always brought up specifically. And I actually read it when I was getting ready for it. It's an animated movie where they're trying to save this life tree. It's almost like the plot is almost identical to this movie, and. Uh, oh. I'm sure there's people listening to this that are screaming at their iPod, but uh, anyways, I can't I, I can't think of it. But uh, Ed, the the plot again, like there's there's just nothing new here. And you know, while I think this movie is almost like a it's a conflict with itself, it's really just is a showcase for a new technology. And the story and plot and everything is, you know, okay, well, we've got to have that because nobody would come and see it if there was no story. But like this movie, it's almost almost unique um, in that it's not really even about the story. It's really about this new technology that they were using. Yeah. Uh, I guess in some ways, <laughs> except for the other was a success. It's kind of like The Wizard of Oz, and that Wizard of Oz was like one of the early movies that that had color, and it was like a, a way to showcase this movie. Except for The Wizard of Oz was a, an amazing story and movie and everything. So yeah, I think you know once you know I think maybe once we step down off of our digital soapboxes, as I call it, and we kind of get our rant over with. Mm. Um, yeah, once we get past that. Uh, yeah, like you said, the movie. I thought you know visually, the movie was very, uh, very appealing, very interesting, and did some really interesting things. They had all sorts of you know interesting life forms in there, and looked like you know they really kind of it was a playground for you know uh, movie animators to go in there and just play and do things with and try out all kinds of new things. So you know, I think you know getting to the tech of the movie, yeah, the movie making itself. I think there was that was probably the tech. Um, best highlighted by this movie is just the fa- uh, all the things that they could try. And I've never seen it in 3D, and you know, a lot of people said it was like amazing in 3D. Or, yeah. uh, and it was probably the showcase for uh, 3D filmmaking. I can't remember, was this the first or one of the first 3D? I think this was definitely one of the first of this new wave of 3D, and it might have actually been the first. And it may have been the best from what I've under- from what yeah. I heard from other people, because after that, uh, this one... Like I say, I, it would be interesting for me to see it in 3D and see some other 3D movies because I've never seen a 3D movie uh, and just compare it. Uh, some of this stuff may have been kind of um, the 3D movies after that may have been um, the story may have been built around the 3D rather than it being you know, you know sort of an interesting story or something yeah. like that. Um, but I think this may have been one of the better um, 3D movies made from what I've heard from other people. Right, and I, and I think uh, like. As a 3D movie, and, and certainly visually, it's it's pretty stunning. Like they did, 
like they they really pulled that end of, end of it off and and who knows like you know we're kind of you know we're into this now like you know well this was 2009 so we're into this like 4 years now of the uh this uh um kind of 3D you know visiting 3D again and if 3D had really taken off, maybe we would view this movie differently, that this was a great landmark movie as the start of the new age of 3D. But um, I don't know about you, but I've had it up to my eyeballs with 3D. I'm sick of it. <laughs> well, so I, I will purposely avoid seeing a movie in 3D if I, if I can. Well, like I said, I've never even dipped my toe into the 3D pool, and I'm kind of uh, you know over it. Uh, because then suddenly they started coming out with 3D televisions and 3D everything. And I don't know, I've kind of kind of like this 3D thing called life. Um, yeah. Why do I need to go and see you know 3D in a movie if the story is interesting and uh, an extra dimension isn't going to you know change the story? So I think the 3D thing is it can if it's done right, like I think uh, it may have been in this one, it can, it can add to it can maybe uh, make the movie a little better. But, you know, if the story isn't there, you could have, you know, six dimensions and it's still not going to help any. Yeah. Like <clears throat> this idea, I, I guess we're, we're getting it. We're into technology, but we're, we're not the technology that they're showing in the movie. But um, <sighs> when a new technology comes along, like uh, that whole, you know, uh, when television came along, oh, it's going to be the death of radio. No, it's not. Like those are completely different mediums. Okay, this is a – radio is a, an audio medium that you can listen to while you're doing other things. You don't have to, you know, pay visual attention to it. And then I, I, this idea that, uh, oh, you know, 3D is going to take over, you know, film. I don't think so. Like, uh, you know, now if they developed some sort of 3D that was like a three-dimensional hologram that took place all around you, then I think, okay, that's a different – that's a completely different medium and I can see that would stand on its own. But to me, like, you know, once they introduced, you know, uh, TV and movies and stuff like that, that didn't make painting go away like or, or you know, appreciation of, of, of that kind of work of art. Like they're, they're just they're, – it's apples and oranges. They're, they're completely different, uh, um, different art forms and I don't see that – I think the 3D experiment that we've been living through is really just a, a, a way for that the movie studios are trying to just maximize and get every dollar out of you that they can. And oh, okay, well if we have 3D, if we ta- you know, you know, screw some 3D into this movie, then we can jack ticket prices up some more. Yeah, and, and like I say, it, it's the story that makes the medium, no matter what the medium is, because yeah. I can draw a picture, but it'll never bring as much money as a Rembrandt will. Um, and so, um, or I can make a movie, but it you know, certainly won't make as much money as anything that you know Hollywood can crank out. So I think it's really about uh, uh, the the quality of the of the sto- the story itself, the quality of the story, and the way it's presented. Uh, you know, what form it's on. It could be a painting, it could be a radio broadcast, it could be a movie. Um, if the story isn't there, none of these things is going to hold up that well. And 3D is just kind of a uh, – I, I think it will it may be a passing fad until maybe – like you say, if they come up with the completely immersive holodeck-type movie where you are part of the story, that might yeah. be perhaps something interesting. But still, you're, you're still just sitting there watching a movie, like you say, a third dimension. Uh, I don't think – if the story isn't there, isn't going to improve it any – and it's just like I say, just a way for Hollywood to milk a little money out of the cash cow before you know it 
finally perhaps dies or moves on to the next medium. Right. As for the tech in the movie, I had uh, I had told you that I would have a little rant on unobtainium. <laughs> I've heard other people kind of go off on that. This and- is the stupidest thing. Like to me, I, I it I feel it is almost like okay when they were writing the script. Oh, we need to have something that they're mining. I'll just put in a placeholder name and call it unobtainium. And at some point in the whole movie making process. They forgot to take that out. Like it's just, it, it's just dumb. Like they could have called it anything else. They could have said we're mining gold or you know or just some fake thing. But to call it unobtainium, that was just that. That was kind of the the icing on this uh, poor plot cake to me. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think I I'm trying to remember now. I. Uh, I think I read somewhere that I think they did that intentionally as kind of a nod to because uh, it is kind of a uh, uh, sci-fi trope. Um, See, now that's something like I I understand when they say that, but like <clears throat> you know the uh, the term "klatu veratu niktu" that is from the day the Earth stood still. It's what Gort says to the big, or I think Gort might be the uh, big robot. And that phrase, that is something that gets used over and over inside. If they need some, you know, kind of, you know, phrase or magic words or something like that, like they, Ash uses it in the Evil Dead movies, and uh, like it, it gets used in a bunch of different places. Well, that's something that when you hear it, it's almost like an inside joke because not everybody knows that. But unobtainium, it's right in the name. Like that's not a, that's not just a nod. That's just, that's just a poor. A poorly Poor constru- writing, yeah. Po- poorly constructed inside joke. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Well, because when I heard unattainium, I thought, well, it sounds like it's unattainable. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Like they could have called it, uh, uh, I don't know, Sulu, Suluium, or something like that. You know, like as a nod to a, a sci-fi character or something like that. That would be fine. But unobtainium, that's just ah. <laughs> I'd, and I realize, yeah, it could be just me, and maybe lots of other people are just fine with this, but I just think that's very weak writing. Well, and like I say, we've already kind of ripped apart the story itself for several things. So, you know, I guess given the the fact that we kind of called the 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 plot sort of you know simplistic, and um, you, you could see kind of see what was coming without really having to dig too hard. For them to just go with unattainium, I guess, wouldn't, would be on par with uh, kind of the effort they put into the rest of the plot. So I guess we'll give them a, a pass on that. It's kind of a meh point. But, uh, yeah, or it's just kind of a dumb thing for them to do. But, uh, um, you know, I think, you know, to, you know, that, uh, to get into the tech in the movie, um, you know, I guess the first tech that we kind of cut – well, I shouldn't say the first tech. The, the main tech in there is kind of the avatar – uh, yeah. technology. Which where, is pretty neat. Yeah. yeah. And so these were, you know, I guess they never spelled it out, but I'm assuming that the avatars themselves were biological in nature of some sort because they were growing yeah. them. And they seem to be, they um, they matched the, the human with their, with their particular avatar. So it seemed to have some sort of a DNA splice between the human DNA and then the Navi DNA and they grew this avatar specifically for that kind of human 
host or whatever you want to refer to them, the, the driver, I guess. Yeah, because the reason the uh, 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 paraplegic uh, Marine was there was because his brother was supposed to take it, and he got killed, and so uh, the Marine was the identical twin, so his, he would be a genetic match. So it must be, uh, you know, and like I say, you know, I guess in a good movie, they don't spell out the tech as long as you believe it, they'll let it go. Uh, yeah. So I assume there must have been some sort of a, you know, they were putting these big, uh, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, caskets or whatever, uh, big enclosed beds where they and wires hooked up to them. So there was some sort of a psychic um, connection or mental connection going on between the avatar and the person. Uh, and the way they, they show that, side of tech I think is actually pretty much perfect for a sci-fi movie like you don't need to explain everything you need to give an overview of what the thing is and it needs and within the rules of this kind of universe that you're creating it has to make sense which it which it does in the, in this case and it was like oh, okay you know like they spell it out as to how how it works just kind of in generalities and uh, you're left to fill in some of the holes in your in your in your uh, in the story in your head, which is fine too, uh, but within the rules of the movie, uh, yeah, it's totally believable. Yeah, I mean, I didn't sit down and nitpick it to see if there was any holes in there, but it, like I said, it all seemed credible. Yeah. Um, it, 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 like I say, and visually, it you know, it seemed credible. You lay down in this bed, you get wires hooked up to you, you kind of go into a sleep, and you know, then your avatar becomes awake, and you. Uh, so I guess you know, I'm and they never. Spelled out, but I assume that you now, get plenty of rest in there. Yeah. Now, were the Navi aware that these these people were not normal? Uh, well, so I guess they knew that they weren't normal, but they were. Were they aware that they were not really Navi? Uh, yeah, I think there was. I was trying to remember um, something about the Navi had four finger or three fingers and a thumb or four fingers, and the avatars had five fingers to mimic okay. the human being because it would be kind of hard for a human with, you know, or, you know, five digits, four fingers and a thumb to try and operate a hand with, you know, one less digit on it. So I think there was that and there was, I, I think, some other tell that would uh, let them be able to differentiate between them and, and, uh, and uh, an avatar. So there was some subtle differences, but I don't quite remember what they were. But it was visible. Okay. Um, yeah, and so they knew that they were operating with somebody who wasn't, you know, truly one of them. So they did, you know, they interacted with them, but it wasn't like they brought them into the into their group. Right. The uh, just something I want to touch on for a minute too uh, another thing that i did really like about it is uh pandora's uh the, the planet that they're on the kind of sci-fi trope of these poisoned eden sort of thing like this um you see it in the 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 star trek episode in the original series where uh and you see it in a bunch of different places in in sci-fi where you go to this new planet and it's like a garden of eden it's beautiful but everything is poisonous you even saw that in the movie this summer um, after Earth, as horrible horrible as that movie was, um, that you have the Earth, you know, several thousand years in the future, and everything has become poisonous and dangerous to to humans. And uh, I, I I think that's kind of a really neat kind of uh, uh, trope. The whole idea of you know this is everything you could ever dream of, everything you could ever want, and you can't ever really touch any of it because it's all poison. 
Okay, I, I saw you put that in there, and I didn't quite know what that that meant. I w- you know I wasn't aware of that trope, but yeah, okay, I get what you mean that it's all pretty as long as you don't you know torque something off and it's going to attack you and eat you. Yeah. Um, not not just to eat you because like you know like even on on our Earth there's thing there's things out there that are dangerous you know grizzly bears and other things that would would eat you but just like the whole idea that the po- the planet itself is poison that you know if they went out without their protective oh. uh, stuff they'd be dead in minutes right yeah because the atmosphere was uh, and they never again they never spelled it out but it wasn't the uh, the uh, Navi could uh, breathe it but humans couldn't and you know. Um, because there was a few scenes where people were without their uh, breathing apparatus for a few minutes, and they're sitting there choking, uh, and uh, you know would lose consciousness and would eventually die. Right. Uh, and so that, and you know, I guess that what or that was the, besides being able to interact with the Navi, Navi, that was the reason for having the avatars. That way, they could move around out in the uh, out in the planet without having to be you know encumbered by spacesuits or you know any or you know breathing apparatus or anything like that uh it would give them an easier way to be able to um navigate the planet yeah now you know the humans brought some you know rather well i mean yeah they brought the uh, avatar technology but they also had some interesting like flying crafts and um i i don't i assume they would work in real life but they were certainly interesting to watch in the, you know in the movie, like the four bladed um, helicopters. I don't remember what they called them. Oh, it's yeah, I won't be able to remember that. Yeah, uh, but I thought those were pretty interesting, and you know some of the ships that they uh, uh, they used the fighter uh, planes that they had were uh, you know it was all some uh, interesting uh, devices that they had. Yeah. They um, they had the they had the uh, helicopters. They had uh, what else? They had those the suits that they wore. The power you know, like uh, biomechanical. Well, I don't know if they were biomechanical, but the exoskeleton suits that they wore. That uh, um, the fight scene at the end, I, I really did like that. That was that was a lot of fun. Um, Wait, yeah, where you had the uh, uh, the mech going against the uh, uh, the avatar and the. Uh, uh, in the human, uh, yeah, that was that was a good scene. And I thought, you know, and of course you had the um, again going back to a trope. You had the bullheaded military man that was going to win at any cost. Well, yeah, well he didn't win. He you know he ended up losing. But um, you know that was uh, that whole fight. Yeah, I thought was interesting. I thought you know reason reasonably believable. Yeah. Yeah, I and. I enjoyed that part of it. Um, what other tech was there in the? Uh... Well, and, you know the. I don't know if you want to call it. I guess you know it's not exactly tech, but you know the the, the Navai uh, uh, used different things. That, you know they their thing was you know they were one with nature. You know, um, and so right. well you know they had um, in their in their braid they had that. Um, um, I forget what they call it, but basically uh, they could use it to interact with uh, animals or with the tree of life or whatever. It was right. kind of like a, um, a USB port, yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better word, built into them. Yeah, it was all like the the planet was one giant network that they could all kind of link up together. 
and it was and the uh, the tree was some kind of uh, facilitator for that or the hub or something. Uh, yeah, it's where the um, what basically the memories or the souls of people who had passed were stored. Right. Um, and you know um, because then they in one of the scenes he had to uh, their their six legged horse like. Um, creatures he had to learn how to ride one of them and one of the, the thing was you had to be able to mount it and be able to interface with it by taking your your big long braid with its nerve endings on there and get it you know hooked up with the horses thing there and the same thing with the uh, um, big birds or dragon-like creatures that they were flying it was the same thing you had to be able to interact with them and it was it was kind of an interesting concept to be able to you know telepathically um, interact with the animal that you were riding. So instead of giving physical commands by like jerking a rein or something like that, you could um, basically, I guess, think bank left or bank right, and you know it would it would do it. it it's an right. interesting idea. Uh, you know, if it, uh, it reacted as fast as a person could think, it would certainly be a little bit more efficient than, like I say, jerking reins around. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um. I don't know how much uh, how much more we- <laughs> there is to talk about. Well, I mean, yeah, we've kind of yeah. had our rants about the plot and, and, and unobtainium and, you know, some of the other things. And like I say, the tech is, uh, it was all, you know, interesting, nothing, you know, really groundbreaking. The the Avatar tech was certainly, you know, an interesting concept that, um, you know, it would be, you know, for space travel, that would certainly be an idea rather than, you know, risking physically sending people to Mars or something like that. Um, I guess the problem would be the the time delay between trying to you know send signals like that. But it would be interesting if you could make something like that work with you know instantaneous um, transmission of signals that to be able to send like avatars to explore planets. Um, like you could you know send them to Mars, and as long as it was you know like say mechanical in nature or something like that, you wouldn't have to worry about the atmosphere. And as long as the person got the sensation of you know, actually being there without their bodies having to physically leave Earth. That's kind of an interesting concept for, you know, space exploration. You wouldn't have to necessarily put people's lives at risk, but you could still get, like, firsthand knowledge of everything. It's just, you know, sure. it's the instantaneous communication is the only issue you have. Right. They are shooting sequels for this. I think they're shooting three sequels at the same time. According to what I see here, um, with the first one is supposed to be released in 2015. I saw something about sequels. I, um, you know, maybe they are up to three. I saw something about two, um, and they might be trying to, you know, maybe milk. It. Well, you know, when you have a success, I'm surprised they haven't done it sooner because you know Hollywood. You know, as soon as they have one, let's start cranking out the sequels until finally something stinks and you know they lose money and they quit doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, heaven forbid Hollywood should actually crank out, you know, good sequels. Um, they usually don't put that much thought into it. Holy. So this movie costs, this is insane. This movie costs $237 million to make. And the box office, according to Wikipedia, is $2.7 billion. How is that possible? Worldwide distribution. Well, and then you know that must be that must be uh, total gross, including DVD sales and everything. Well, yeah. And how much were they uh, charging for it, like in IMAX theaters? Um, oh, maybe. 
Because wow, that's crazy. Well, they certainly didn't lose any money on it. No. Um, that's good return on investment. They made more than ten times the their money back. So. Well, I know when it came out, everybody was certainly, um, um, you know, raving about the movie and about you know. I think it was just as much, well, probably more so about the three D effects and what they were seeing there. Uh, and certainly the first you know movie of that kind to come out is certainly going to receive the attention and this was certainly because you know 3d has been tried before and it's always kind of been kind of hokey or kind of stupid or whatever this one seemed to be the uh, one that got it right that people just didn't come out just you know shaking their heads and going you know this is a waste of two hours or whatever um so it got it right and it got a lot of attention and a lot of people went to see it uh and i think there is a certain contingency of people that got behind the storyline and that certainly helped it too Um, but yeah I I could see that you know there is an insane amount of money but I could see how it's conceivable yeah yeah I just like Batman the Dark Knight I think it approached a billion dollars for box office and that was like in the theaters for ages so well I wonder I would I would assume that's just the movie. They wouldn't have included uh, merchandising in there, would they? I don't know. Like I'm just looking at the Wikipedia figure, and it just says box office. So okay. Well, I would hope, but uh, it's got to be more than just the box office. But uh, wow. Well. Yeah, because I'm looking at like grosses here, and they've got that must be a running total of grosses. Um, they certainly merchandised the hell out of this movie, though. Like there was, you know, uh, uh, Happy Meals and you know, action figures and everything else. So there was a lot of, a lot of stuff. And also, this is this is custom made for the kind of film that people want to buy on Blu-ray because it because of the um, the effects and um, especially the uh, commentary tracks, right? Because people, you know, if you're into film, you're going to want to hear, you know, James Cameron talking about how they went about making it and stuff like that. So I'm sure it did very, very well on uh, Blu-ray. Well, yeah, it said opening weekend was $4 billion in the United States on 812 screens. What? Yeah, uh, in IMDb there. It says opening weekend... Oh, four million dollars. Yeah. Sorry, I got an extra set of zeros in there. <laughs> but still, I mean, you know, for the opening weekend, yeah, that uh, that's nothing to sneeze at. There's a lot of movies that would like to do that. Yeah, but it must have been more than four million too, though. Like, right? Well, they said uh, opening opening weekend, August twenty ninth, two thousand and ten, eight hundred twelve screens. And I don't remember, you know, how much of that. I know they were making a deal about it being, you know, in IMAX theaters and 3D um, movie theaters. And I don't know how many of them are figured into there. Right. Where did you see that uh, that figure for the opening? Uh- it was... Uh, under well, let me back up here it was Avatar it was on you know, IMDb and yeah. I clicked on uh, opening or yeah, you this. must have been looking at a different Avatar because you said it 
it opened in this in uh, August. This uh, Avatar opened in eighteenth uh, of December. Oh, well, hmm. I'm in the movie Avatar here. Now I I went back to see if I could find where I was at. Oh, uh, box office budget. Okay, yeah. So I'm yeah I'm in. Uh, Avatar movie 2009, and I went down to scroll down to where it says box office, and then I hit the see more, and then that's where I brought up those other figures for opening weekend. They have a gross for it looks like by each weekend, okay, because uh, they got it broke down by US. You get down here a little farther, then you start seeing UK. Uh, Argentina. So they've got it broke down. They, they put a lot of detail into um, into this. Um, like I say, by countries and everything else. And that's where I pulled up that that opening weekend figure. Hmm. hmm. Well, do we have anything to else to go over on... Uh no, I think Check we. For this. I think we pretty much you know made our points and you know talked about the stuff that was in there. So, um, you know, and I, you know, we always asked the question. You know, was there any tech in there that you, uh, you know, thought would be interesting to have? Uh, I did like that. I thought the uh, overall tech for uh, the avatar concept was pretty neat. Like I, that would be a, a really cool way to observe an alien race is to have that that. Uh, Capability that technology. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with you. I thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, you know, way to do it. Um, and you know, if I had to, you know, if I was going to, you know, pick something else, it, uh, the power suits. I I always kind of find those things fascinating, anyway. But um, you know, that was kind of interesting to be able to, you know, walk around and move heavy things. And you know, they were using it for war, but you could use it for other things too. And uh, uh, those I kind of find interesting too. So. Cool. All right. So I guess that wraps up this episode of Sci-Fi Tech Talk. Uh, you can check us out at scifitechtalk.com um, where there's some cool space junk available for your purchase. Uh, or you can follow us on Twitter at Sci-Fi Tech Talk. If you have ideas or comments, please send them to sci-fi tech talk at gmail.com and reviews on iTunes are always welcome. Um, be just before we close out, I actually have something I want to pimp here because uh, a guy that I work with, um, he was involved in a um, filmmaking competition. And he and some friends, they did a, uh, a five-minute short film, and it has been selected to go to Cannes. So they are uh, going over. It's called the the Grand Sirachi. I haven't even had a chance to watch it yet because I just found out about this. And you can find it on thegrandsirachi.com. So it's all one word, the grand, and the sirachi is S-A-R-A-C-H-I-S.com. So if you want to watch their five-minute film, that is going to be uh, at the Cannes Film Festival in France. So if uh, so, Mike, where can people find you on the interwebs? Well, I can be found on Twitter where I uh, give uh, various dissertations on things once in a while. And uh, there I can be found at DSC Chipman. And um, 
if anything else you want to find out about me, uh, I have an about.me page at about.me slash Mike McPeak. That's M-C-P-E-E-K. And if people want to see my ramblings on Twitter, they can follow me at Bronco Sire, and that's S-Y-E-R. And you can see me most recently. I've started using the, uh, oh, geez, I can't even think what it's called, this beer app. Uh, Tap it? Uh, tapped. T- yeah, tapped. And uh, so I've been listing all the beers that I drink, and it's been very wonderful. <laughs> so uh, that's it for this week. So we will see you in the future. It's the sci-fi tech talk.